slipped out into the world and brought back a fortune, as fortunes now go. The fortune wasn't made greatly to appear, although when one took a good look round, one saw that everything was unobtrusively perfect. Judith Appleby liked coming to Charn. Her people, the Ravens, held some sort of relationship with the Martineaus, as they seemed to do with a lot of people of the same sort. Charles Martineau commonly called her Cousin Judith, a form of address which was surely coming to take on an old-fashioned air. John Appleby, who hadn't been bred to such places, liked coming to Charn too. This was chiefly because he liked Martineau. He seemed so utterly gentle a man that the fortune he had made presented itself as a puzzle. It is usually rather tough characters who come by anything of that sort. Perhaps Charles' nature changed when he left Charn behind him. Do nightingales sing only at night? Diana asked. Poems and things make it seem like that. Hark, from that moonlit cedar water burst. Bobby Angrave produced this with a faintly ironical effect. It was a quotation, Appleby reflected, from the poem that had been running in his own head. Again thou hearest eternal passion, eternal pain. No, my dear. Mrs. Martineau seemed almost shocked by Diana's ignorance. Where there are nightingales, and one listens carefully, one may hear their notes all through an afternoon. But it's in the evening that they rev up, Martine said. That is true, and the other birds make so much noise by day. This nightingale, ah, nightingale, we have heard only by night. Oh, nightingale, that on yon bloomy spray warblest at eve when all the woods are still. This was Bobby again, and it ought to have been harmless and agreeable. But it wasn't, Appleby thought, or not quite. Grace Martineau could be sensed as stiffening in displeasure, as if she felt Bobby, her husband's nephew, to be guying this new poem, and so guying the bird. And it was quite possible, one suddenly perceived, that Grace didn't much like Bobby anyway. And Diana Page, too, seemed not pleased, for she launched another attack on the young man. Fancy spouting poetry about the nightingale, she said, when one can sit and listen to it. And it isn't even difficult. Anybody could go on producing nightingales till bedtime. Try, Bobby said. He seemed nettled by this juvenile assault. Still are thy pleasant voices, thy nightingales, awake. Try again? Thou wast not born for death, immortal bird. And again? Bobby was now mocking. There was a moment's silence as Diana hesitated. Mrs. Martineau, barely visible, made a faint gesture of displeasure. He sings each song twice over, Diana said, lest you should think— Bobby interrupted with a shout of laughter, a sound too loud for the hour and place. You silly goose, he said. That's the thrush. Well, I think it's true of the nightingale as well. 
This one has sung tonight exactly as he sang last night, so there. Bobby Angrave stood up. Deftly capturing in face of this apology for an argument, the air of one who tactfully breaks off conference with a petulant child. I think I'll go and have a chat with the bird, he said, and he strolled off into the darkness. There was another burst of song, to which they listened in silence. The nightingale seemed to have its station at some distance from the house. The glazed loggia in which they were sitting had been added to the east pavilion, one of two small palladian structures which served to modify the cube-like severity of the house. In front of them, which was to the south, lay a broad terrace beyond the balustrade, of which the ground dropped down shallow flights of steps to the ghost of a formal garden. You could see, or in daylight,